When that happens, I want you guys to understand that wealthy people get wealthy in recessions. So save your effing money, okay, right now. Get solid, man. Get your credit score solid so you can take advantage of all the investment opportunities, stock opportunities, real estate opportunities. Welcome to The Fi Show, where you'll get a behind-the-scenes look into financial independence. Here's your host, Cody and Justin. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Fi Show, where today we have on Daniel Alonzo, who went from almost nothing to becoming a DECA millionaire in a few decades. But before we get into that, let me check in with my co-host, Justin. What is going on, man? Hey, Cody. is uh, actually a pretty calm weekend. It was a weekend I was pumped about before it even started because I knew I had zero plans and I just haven't had one of those in a long time. But we ended up doing a couple little things. If you're familiar with Austin, you might know what Barton Springs is. It's just an area where this like, natural spring feeds it. It's like 60-something degrees year-round. So when it's 100-something degrees, it's awesome. Like You can just lay out out there, go jump in, cool off, get out. It's a cool vibe out there. We did that. Met some of our neighbors for the first time, which is a young couple. So that's cool to have some people like down the road that you know. I cooked six pizzas, which is, you know, maybe not the best thing for my health to have four extra pizzas in my refrigerator, but you have that. And then uh, also got to organize a little surprise promotion kind of dinner for Leslie. So she thought it was just a regular date night. And then all of a sudden, like one by one, her friends start showing up and she realizes, oh, this is like something more. So we had a little promotion celebration for her. So that was my weekend. How about you, Cody? So this was a pretty hectic weekend and week for me. I spent Saturday in Boston just hanging out with friends. But, you know, during this whole time, like all last week and Sunday and part of this week, I've been moving into the lake house. And for longtime listeners, we have this little cottage on a lake. It's a seasonal home, so you can only live in it for probably three, three and a half months. It's absolutely freezing, like any time before May and any time after mid-September. It's like gets down to the 40s at night. And it's just not very comfortable. So a future project might be insulating this place and making it like a forever home. But as of right now, it's just a seasonal place. So me and my fiance, Lauren, like to move in here in the summer and just enjoy the lake season. So been doing a bunch of different stuff. We just installed a new vanity. We had to, you know, mow the lawn that was super overgrown. We had to basically de-winterize everything, get the boat ready, little things here and there. And I mean, clean the place. It hasn't been cleaned in nine months since we moved out last September. So it's been a it's been a week of hustle, but it's been fun. It's been rewarding. And actually, just this past week, speaking of houses, so this place went up. It was a duplex. It was two, three ones, three bed, one bath in our town, like literally a five minute drive from the lake house and where Lauren and I typically live. And so we put an offer in and honestly didn't think we were going to win. We put it in at asking, although we did do a cash offer because we have a hard money loan and we're going to refinance. We could do a whole episode on that whole process another time, but we didn't think we were going to win. Like we thought we had no chance whatsoever. There was offers coming in 50 grand over asking, but these were all conventional loans and they ended up going with our bid. So we had the inspection done. Everything's looking good. So fingers crossed in about 30 days from now, we will have another multi-family rental property under our belt. It needs a bit of work, but it looks like it has a lot of potential. But Justin, that's enough about us. Let's tell the listeners about the awesome spreadsheet freebie you're giving them. Yeah, Cody, I'm excited to make this available to all the listeners. It's the spreadsheet that I use personally from the time I started in 2015 when I had 38K to track 
And now I've got this spreadsheet that shows everything I've spent all the way up to today. We're busted over that million mark. And so it's a tool that I found kind of stood the test of time. It's got all the categories in there for you. And I think it's just a really simple tool that's worked really well for me. And I hope it works well for the listeners. All right, Justin, I can't let you get away with not hyping yourself up enough because I've seen this spreadsheet and it is just all encompassing. It tracks all of your expenses. It tracks your net worth month to month. It tracks your income. It has kind of a ledger of all of your different accounts, whether that's bank accounts, 401ks, IRAs, anywhere where your money is sitting, Justin has a place for it. And so basically what Justin did was he took his spreadsheet that he uses himself. He made a template version for all of you guys to use. And he went ahead and recorded a video to show you exactly how he uses it month to month to track his net worth, income, and expenses. You can grab all of that for free at thefyshow.com slash spreadsheet. That's thefyshow.com slash spreadsheet. All right. So on today's episode, we have on Daniel Alonzo, author of Wealth on the Beach. And this guy's story is just kind of crazy in how he was brought up, how he progresses through life, super hustle mentality. And him kind of walking through the entire journey is just really eye-opening to see what it takes to hit certain levels of success. And not that Daniel is doing anything crazy, but just like the grind, the motivation, the willingness to not give up. So he talks about hustle and how that played a really important role in kind of his come up story. He also talks about frugality and, you know, he's open now about spending a lot of money, but we talk about how in his formative years, in his twenties, while he's kind of building wealth, while he's building his nest egg, while he's building his business, how frugal he was and how that's allowed him to now live this more luxurious lifestyle. He has a multi-million dollar house. He's driving nice cars. He has nice things, but it's all because of that frugality that he was so intentional about in the early years. It's also another example of where we talk about scale. I feel like we talk about scale all the time with different guests. And, you know, he starts not only creating his own little business, but then he starts recruiting more and growing his coverage. And you can't really scale without adding on other people to your team. And so he He's another great example of that. Also, as a little teaser, he also covers covered calls, which could be a cool little tidbit that you weren't expecting from this episode. And as always, if you know someone who might be interested in an episode like this, where we talk about a come up story, we talk about scaling, we talk about something interesting like covered calls, or you just want to find the link so you can get in touch with Daniel, you can do all that over at thefyshow.com slash Daniel. That's thefyshow.com slash D-A-N-I-E-L. Take it away, Daniel. I grew up in a middle-class family. I mean, in the early, early days, we might be considered lower middle-class. And my father was in construction. My mom was a checker at a uh, grocery store. And so they got divorced when I was maybe around seven years old. And me and my mom and my brother, we ended up moving into a little tiny apartment. And so the early days, you know, looking back, I saw shit I wasn't supposed to see. It was the seven, the late 70s, eight, early 80s. So if you could imagine, there was a lot of drugs. There was a lot of partying going on, especially when my parents got divorced. My father, he was into all that stuff. And, you know, I remember as a little kid walking into the house one day and there was a mound of cocaine in the house. It was like a party going on. And I'm just a little kid, you know, and I don't know anything about that stuff. And my babysitter was down the street. So I'd go to the babysitter in the morning and have to walk to school. And it wasn't a bad childhood. It's just, there was just a lot of things that probably little kids maybe shouldn't have seen and probably 
got me into that maybe lashing out as a young kid. I always got in trouble. I was not the good kid in school by no measure. But for some reason, there was something inside of me that I kind of always knew where that line was. Never went to jail or anything like that. But I always kind of knew. My mom used to always say, she used to get me with guilt. She used to say, man, if you do anything over the top, you know, you would kill me. You would devastate me. And, you know, she actually kind of brags about it today as being a mom. She's like, I was good. You know, I got you guys. You know, I was that kid that never liked school at all. And I rebelled quite a bit. And I think it was just me trying to come out of my shell and just become the person that I I think I was meant to be. I am still today. I'm a fighter. I fight for what I believe in. I'm not afraid of what other people think about me. And I think that's what's contributed a little bit to our success. So maybe talking about like coming from that younger age to maybe that kind of graduating high school, not sure if you know you went to college. What was that decision like? Just kind of take us a little bit further on in your life. About 14, I got a cool little story for you guys that I like to tell. About 14 years old, I was with a buddy of mine and we were running the streets at two o'clock in the morning. Nobody knew where we were and we were opening up cars, you know, just to try to find some sunglasses or change or something, right? We were actually down in Newport Beach, California and we opened this van and I saw this boombox radio. This was the 80s, so I saw this boombox radio. And by the way, I was a break dancer as well. So in the 80s, <laughs> I was one of the original break dancers in the United States. And But anyways, I saw this boombox radio and I grabbed it and I ran back to their house. And man, we hit the jackpot. We were fired up, man. We were excited about that. And lo and behold, I look inside of the tape cassette thing. And there was a tape cassette by Jack Canfield, which is, as you know, is the chicken soup for the soul guy, right? And he changed my life. I mean, really, it was a tape that talked about self-esteem and peak performance. And my favorite, favorite piece of that tape, by the way, it was a nine set tape, but I only had one. I only ever (laughs) listened to the one tape because that's all that was in there. But the line that I always remembered that stuck with me for, gosh, decades now was uh, when he said, ask, 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 ask. And it was really a lesson about asking for the things that you want in your life and being brave enough to ask people for help, ask people for what you want, what you desire, ask the universe for the things that you desire. And so at a young age, not that I was completely a good kid between 14 and 21 when I went into business, I definitely made some different decisions that, you know, I never went past that line. I was still got in trouble at school, still was not a very good student, but I always knew that line. And I think there was something inside of me that said, you're going to be somebody special in your life. So anyways, I got out of high school and I wanted to be a cartoonist and I tried and without a whole lot of guidance, I ended up failing. And at that point, that was maybe about a year after high school. And at that point I said, you know what, I'm going to go to college. I'm going to go to community college. I'm going to play baseball because I was a baseball player my whole life. And I'm going to try baseball now. And so I went to college and I'm playing baseball for that first season. One of my basic classes that I picked, my electives called officiating basketball class. Not that we really learned anything, but we played a lot of basketball. And so went up for a layup, came back, crunched my knee really, really bad. 
That was the end of my baseball career. Came back home, felt like a total, total loser, hanging out with all kinds of really uh, unscrupulous people and just, uh, again, no direction in life. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I was depressed because I failed at cartooning. I was depressed because I couldn't compete anymore and I wasn't in baseball anymore and I didn't know what I wanted to do. And thank God, a buddy of mine, his name was Pablo. He was one of my best friends growing up. He's like, hey, dude, why don't you check out this financial company that I am getting started with and maybe this might be an idea for you. And of course, I stood him up for about four months. He kept asking me, hey, check this out, check this out. And I uh, eventually, I mean, I stood him up a ton of times. Eventually, I said, you know what? I'm going to give it a shot. I'm going to go for it. And I looked at the business and I remember seeing this guy talking about all these great things that could happen to me. I thought it was total bullshit, but there was something inside of me that said, you know what? Why not? The rest is history. So when did the ask, 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 ask start actually coming into play? Was it when you first went into business? I know you mentioned you were 21 years old. Sounds like you finally give this guy the call back. You're like, I'm going to start with this financial company. When did that asking thing kind of help lead you to your path in the universe? I think it helped me from day one because the first thing I did was I stole my parents' phone book, okay? Because we didn't have iPhones back then. So everybody had like written phone books back then. And so I stole the phone book and then I just started going name by name and I called every single person in that phone book and I said, hey, look, I said, my mom and dad recommended that I called you and you know shared with you what I did for them. That's how I got my start. That's how I started booking appointments and getting my first ever clients. Thing took off, man. I mean, I got a lot of clients and then I ended up prospecting some of these people and I ended up recruiting some of these people and started to build my business with some of these people. And it it just kind of started taking on a life of its own and and it just grew with massive momentum. So you mentioned when your friend Pablo reached out and he starts telling you about this business that you weren't sure about it. Like, maybe this is just some BS. Like, I don't know if I really want to mess with this. Like, tell us a little bit more about this business and like, you know, what were the red flags that you thought and and kind of like how you got past that? Yeah, I remember sitting in this meeting and there was a guy with a Ferrari out, you know, there was a Ferrari sitting out front and I walk in this meeting, there's about, I don't know, maybe 20, 30 people. And this guy's on stage and he's like, Hey, you know, you could make a hundred thousand a year and you could change your life and you could travel all over the world and live in a great home and have total financial freedom. And of course, I mean, I'm like, you know, I'm making seven bucks an hour at this time. (laughs) So I'm like, this is bullshit, right? I never heard anybody talk about this. I never had anybody that I really knew at a close range, I never knew anybody that made $100,000 a year. I didn't ever really know anybody that did really, really well. And so I was very leery. And it, again, the red flag was the fact that this guy's telling me, a guy that's making $7 an hour, that I'm going to be rich. And I'm going, this is bullshit. There's no way. But at the same time, I was calling bullshit. At the same time, there was something in my gut that said, look, man. He ain't asking you for a resume. He ain't asking you about your past and what a bad student you were and how you got crappy grades and you quit college. And he didn't ask you any of this stuff. And he's making 400,000 a year at the time. That's what he at least said he was making. And I'm thinking, if this dude could do it, well, you got nothing to lose and everything to gain. He wasn't asking for $10,000. I think it was like, 
I don't know, it was maybe a grand or 1500 for me to get licensed. And he wasn't making any of that money. I mean, all this money was for the actual state licenses that I needed to get to become licensed in the business. So although I thought it was bullshit, I also kind of recognized that the guy wasn't making any money for me to be recruited in the business. He was only gonna make money if I ended up doing well in the business. So that's why I said yes, is because I, I kind of put that together. So were you like a financial advisor, wealth manager type of person? He would take a certain percentage off of the business you booked? Was that how it worked? Yeah. So, I mean, I, I was at a certain contract. I don't know, back then, I think I was like at a 50% contract and, you know, he was probably at 120% contract. So he would get the, literally, he would get the difference, but he trained me. He coached me. It was kind of like a broker agent relationship. And it took me about three years and at that point, I ended up opening up my own location. Now I had the same contract. I had 130% contract or whatever. And I was able to market mutual funds and IRAs and Roth IRAs and 401ks and retirement accounts, college funds, you name it. And then also like insurances and annuities and life insurance and auto insurance and all this stuff. And I was excited about it. I mean, I was really excited because I really felt like I was doing something good. I had a real close friend that I tried to get to become a client when I first got in business. And this this was kind of a transformative experience for me of what happened. But I had a good friend that I was trying to get an appointment with. And I'm, I'm probably maybe six months in the business. He keeps telling me no. He's about 28 years old. And he keeps telling me no. And he's like, no, you know, I don't need life insurance. I'm not going to die. I'm only 28. I mean, this is stupid. And so one day he calls me about a year later, he calls me and he says, hey, man, I want to know more about that life insurance thing. And, and I said, oh, man, what's going on, dude? I said, you've been putting me off for a year. And, and he said, well, I just found out I have cancer. And I said, dude, I mean, there's nothing I can do. I, I can't give you life insurance after you had cancer. And of course, you know, I couldn't do anything for him. He dies six months later, had a brand new baby at the time, and his wife and his brand new baby were left with nothing. And they lost everything, by the way. They had a little house, little condo that they completely lost. She had to go move up north from California. We live in Southern California. She had to move up north with her parents, lost everything. I mean, it was devastating financially. I mean, literally like 50 bucks a month would have probably been a half a million dollars for his family. It would have changed. I mean, half a million dollars at 10% is 50 grand a year for the rest of their life. They would have been at least somewhat taken care of. So from that point on, it was like game on, man. I mean, I sold and marketed more life insurance programs than most people that I know. And so if people were interested in getting into something like this, was this just a typical like, hey, financial advisor courses, like you talked about certain certifications you got. And then maybe you could talk a little bit too about the construct. Like you mentioned these different contracts, which range from 50% starting out to like you mentioned 130%. As far as the licensing, I mean, I'm not, 
actually a financial advisor, more of a financial representative. And the reason why is because there, there are other certifications and licenses to get that certain designation. But of course, I'm fully licensed to be able to market almost all types of investments. And as far as insurance and things like that, you have to go get a state license for the insurance license. And then of course, another license with the National Association of Securities Dealers to be able to, I have my series six, 63, 26, and I'm able to manage. I mean, today we have 50 locations, about 1500 licensed agents. So what really happened to me and what I did was so significant was that I started to recruit people. So I was very interested in helping people get into programs and selling, but I was more interested in teaching people how to do what I was doing. So I was making a lot of money by marketing the programs, but I was actually starting to make more money after you know maybe a year, two years. I was making more money from the people that I was recruiting. So kind of like a uh, if you're a real estate broker and you hire 20 agents, well, the broker makes money and the agents make money. There's a little bit of a split there. Same thing with my business. So like, for example, I came in the business, I was green. So I didn't know anything about anything. They took me under their wing. They trained me. I was at a 50% contract. Then I started to recruit and train other people. I hit some, I guess, bonus areas and they promoted me to 60%. And then I did some more and I built a bigger team and then they promoted me to 70%. And then I ended up getting a 110% contract when I opened up my own location. And then on top of that 110, they allowed me to earn bonuses based on our production levels. We got bonuses of another 20% on top of that. So that's why I was about 130%. Now, there's actually even bigger bonuses on top of that that we're able to capitalize as well. The bottom line is that it was always better, like, even in my new book called Wealth on the Beach, 11 Universal Laws to Building Financial Freedom, I talk about how replication and duplication is really the best way, in my opinion, to create massive passive income. And that's what I was really after. Like, I thought it was great to sell, but I, I didn't want to be that guy at 70 years old. I'm sorry. I don't want to be hawking life insurance at 70, man. I just don't want to be doing it. You know, I, I don't want to have to recruit anybody. I haven't had to recruit anyone since I was 28 years old. And I'm 47, by the way, right now. And But I don't want to have to go and always be selling all the time. I wanted to get to a point where I can have freedom to do what I want whenever I want. And so just to put like a little bit of a bow on like the mechanics of that, when you say the 60% and 130%, just for clarification for the audience, like what does that mean? Like, especially when you're talking about a percentage that's, you know, over hundred percent, like that's not always intuitive. Yeah. Think about it. If I was to, for example, sell a life insurance program and let's just say the client is spending $83 a month. So that's a thousand in premium in production my commission would be 50% of that or 60 or 70% of that premium or production. And so people would go, well, how can you get 110%? How does that happen? <laughs> it's simply because the company's a New York Stock Exchange company, been around since 1977, the actual corporation that I'm a franchise underneath. And so they have hundreds of millions of dollars. So, and the, the company's worth, I don't know, something like four, five, six billion dollars, depending on the stock price. The company has enough money to be able to advance 
that production and those bonuses. Because think about it, after that first year, I don't get that commission every year. I don't get that 50% every single year. So they're able to advance pretty nice bonuses to people that are willing to hit certain targets of production. Huh, interesting. So it sounds like from 21 to 28, you were just crushing it on the income front. You were building this business up. Like at 28, you didn't even have to do any more recruiting because you had already kind of built this system where you were creating these little mini Daniels who were kind of doing the same thing as that you were doing. What were you doing on the personal expenses side? Like, were you still driving an old car? Were you living in an older apartment? I know we had kind of chatted on your podcast about this a bit, Daniel, how important and formative those early years are to maximize that gap between the income and the expenses. So just curious what your personal journey looked like. I was uh, as frugal as can be. I mean, I did not like to spend money in the early days. I was making $300,000 a year and I was still driving around in a $10,000 beat up Maxima. And I'm proud of that. And I've always been proud of that. I've always been proud of the fact that my first real home, I I bought a condo, which was only about $112,000 in the beginning years. And then about three years later, I ended up buying, you know, my real home. I'm proud of the fact that, you know, I could have bought a $2 million home. I mean, technically, but I bought a $470,000 home or no, it was actually $370,000 home at that time. And I paid it off very quickly. So I haven't had a mortgage in a very, very long time until I got the house that I'm living in today. And and my mortgage is actually only about $1,800 a month, if you could imagine. It's a $3 million home, but my mortgage is $1,800 a month. I think my property taxes are about as much as my mortgage. But anyways, uh, the bottom line is that I was very, very frugal because all my money went into my investments or traveling. I've always been willing to spend money on travel. And of course, if I'm going to expand or if I'm going to grow my business, anything back into the business was okay for me. But the truth is from 21 to 28, I mean, at one point I was saving 50, 60% of my income. I mean, I was relentless about saving my money. I mean, every extra dime that was left over in my checking account, I tried to get it away from me as quickly as possible. And I've never paid one cent in a finance charge to a credit card ever. I was always very, you know, thoughtful about where I spent my money, how I spent my money. I was very organized financially. I think that was a big, big deal because I'd get home and I would put all my credit card charges inside of my checking account, which is weird. A lot of people think that's weird. But what it did for me was it allowed me to always have track of what type of bill I was going to have at the end of the month. And so I never had to pay finance charges. So look, I mean, it paid off because I I knew how to invest. So there were investments that I was earning 50% a year, 100% a year because I knew how to invest. It was mutual funds that were paying me 90, 100% of the year at the time. And then of course I had other side investments that I was able to invest into individual stocks that I had done really, really well in as well. And so that helped me by the time I was 28, I had a million dollars saved. So it definitely worked. I mean, but the key takeaway though, is you got to get financially organized. Yeah. I mean, that's incredible hitting a million dollars at 28, especially like the path that you took. And speaking of that, before we get too far away from like those early years, I'm curious, you know, you mentioned how like when you went back home from college, you're kind of hanging out with certain type of people, you grew up kind of certain type of way, 
When you start making those changes and you start seeing the money come in, did you have kind of old friends trying to jump back on the train, like kind of leech onto the success you were having? What was it like, like, I guess, getting another surrounding of friends to replace maybe some of the people who were in your life before if you had to? Yeah, I mean, for me, it was hard in the beginning because I was such the friends guy, right? I mean, we had a crew of of friends that we hung out every weekend. We did everything together. So there was just a day that I woke up and because we used to have trainings on Saturday morning and I would always have to be there at, you know, eight o'clock, nine o'clock in the morning on Saturday morning. And of course, all my friends wanted to go out on Friday night and I'd always tell them, no, can't go. It's not going to happen because I got training tomorrow morning and I got to be, I got to be fresh. I got to feel good because I was 21 but the people that I was training and, you know, trying to set a good example for and try to be a leader for, they were 30 years old. They were 40 years old. Some of them were 50 plus years old. So for me, it was, I was just trying to build credibility. And so I lost a lot of those friends. They were not hanging around me. I don't think really not many of them jumped on my bandwagon, really. I mean, it was matter of fact, my best friend, his name was Adam. And I actually mentioned him in the book. He was my biggest doubter. You know, he was my best friend. He lived down the street from me. We did everything together. He wouldn't support me. You know, he called my business a scam. He was very just disrespectful to me. And, you know, I put the line in the sand and I said, dude, it's not going to happen, man. I mean, if you don't support me and at least say nice things about me, we can't be friends because now, I did my homework and I knew this was a big company and I knew that they were doing good things. I studied everything about the products and services that we were marketing and I knew we were right. And I was doing some good things. I was seeing it right in front of me. And so I was real defensive about that. I was very like, look, man, if you're not going to support me, you can't be in my life. But as far as replacing friends goes, that was easy because I built so many amazing relationships. I tell people all the time, I mean, I could go anywhere, just about anywhere in the United States today and lots of places in Canada today. And I would have a couch to sleep on, just <laughs> literally a call and a couch to sleep on anywhere in the country, almost North America. It's because I have so many friends today. I have so many great relationships throughout all the years because the company has 130,000 licensed agents. And so Throughout all the years, I've been to conventions and big events, and I used to speak on their intercompany cable channel, and I've, I've spoken in front of 50,000 people at conventions. Anybody in our company or anybody in our company, if you mention my name, you know, the, most of them would know who I was. And these are people that had just become friends. So I tell people all the time, like, look, don't be afraid of losing your old friends because you're going to make even better ones in the future. And I can say that that's certainly the truth. I mean, I have so many really successful people that I get to hang out with now and, and I get to pick their brain and learn from them and get mentored by some of these people that I've known for now, 20, 25 years. Earlier in the conversation, you mentioned that you had understood and you had started to learn about investing. You were learning about these different investment products and just want to Quick word of caution to listeners. This is just entertainment purposes only since Daniel is a, what's the proper term, Daniel? Because I'm <laughs> licensed representative. Yeah, <laughs> he's a licensed representative. So we got to cover his butt here. So this is just for entertainment purposes. Want to pick Daniel's brain because something that was really interesting when I came on your podcast was talking about covered calls. And before we kind of dig into some of the questions surrounding covered calls, can you just quickly define what that is for the people listening? 
The truth is I'm not an expert at covered calls or an expert at options or anything like that. Look, I spent 25 years in financial industry, but very recently over the last several years been started to learn about covered calls. And a lot of people don't realize that you have chunks of stock, okay? You have you have blocks of stock, let's just say 100 shares, 200, 500 shares of a stock, and it's just sitting there. And so what I've come to find out is that you could basically rent out. I look at it as renting out my stock. So I'm able to look at a strike price and an expiration and the brokerage, they'll send me what's called premium. They'll send me money for basically renting out my stock. Okay. And so once you figure out the charts and once you do your due diligence on a stock, you could, with very accurate, with a lot of certainty, you can figure out how you can say, okay, let's just say the stock is trading, okay, at $150 a share. And let's just say you have 500 shares of that stock. You could say, I'm going to sell a call for five contracts, but I'm going to sell it at 160 bucks. And what that means is, if it goes from, and this is why it's very, very safe in a lot of ways, it's very safe because if it's at 150 bucks right now and your call is at 160, well, once it gets to 160, they're going to sell your shares. Okay. So you're going to make 10 bucks a share as far as your profit, your 10 bucks share. But then you also get to keep whatever that premium was. And, you know, that could be $500. That could be $1,000. That could be $5,000, depending on how that stock is trading on any given day. Now, people say, well, there's got to be a catch. There's got to be downside to it. And the only downside that I can see, again, without saying I'm an expert. And by the way, I'm not, I don't sell the training to anybody. I don't sell. This is not a part of what I do as an agent. It's, I don't do any of that. This is something that I've done personally for myself. But I mean, the only downside that I can see is if that share price, let's just say it runs from $150 to $170 a share. Well, then you missed out on that other 10 bucks a share. Within, If it does that within the expiration, you miss out on 10 bucks a share. So you miss out on some profit, but you didn't lose. You didn't lose not one dime. You only gained the higher price and whatever premium you were paid by the brokerage. And if it doesn't hit that price, I'm assuming it just doesn't sell and you keep the stock you had. That's it. You keep the stock you had and you keep the premium. So whatever premium they gave you, again, whether it be $500 or $5,000, you keep that money. And that money, by the way, goes directly. Once you click the button that you're going to sell that call, that money immediately goes into your account. Now, one okay. of the cool things that we do, and by the way, all of this is I have a coach. I actually have a trading coach that teaches me how to do this and actually helps me run a lot of my different plays. I guess, guess trades runs a lot of my trades. He helps me. He guides me. I'll you know send him what I think I want to do. And, and then I'll say, any thoughts? What are your thoughts? And then he'll give me some ideas. 
And so I'm very fortunate to have a guy that really, and in the future, I'll introduce you, all you guys to this guy, because we've made, I don't know, about 170 trades so far. And I think we've been wrong only about six or seven times out of like 170 trades. And so we've been extremely, extremely successful at it. But this is the thing though, is what we'll do, say your expiration is a 30 days out. Well, we're not always gonna wait 30 days. We'll set up our trade where if we hit 50% of our premium, okay? So let's just say we made $1,000 on the premium, okay? We've already profited 50% of that in one day. Then we'll immediately buy the contracts back. Now, I only got to keep 50% of my premium. So instead of keeping 1,000, I only kept $500. But I got that $500 in pure profit. Don't have to wait till the expiration. I get to keep that after 24 hours. Okay. That's happened a lot of times, by the way. You know, we have a very good understanding of what's going to happen on the trade. But this is what's cool is that if it doesn't hit it, we'll set it up for like 80%. So a lot of times we actually exit the trade way before the expiration, which means that we get to in that same 30 day period, we get to run that trade again. So instead of making $500 or $1,000 in premium for the month on that one block of stock, we might make $2,000. We might make $4,000 because we get to run the trade over and over and over again. And I know you mentioned like at the click of a button. I'm not sure. Is that accurate how it works? Like on brokerages, is it literally like sell a covered call? And do you have to be like approved for it? Or how does that work with some of the major brokerages? Yeah, they're going to ask you some questions to get approval that they're going to approve you for options trading. But I can tell you that there's one button, two buttons, put in your limit, and then another swipe up and you're done, dude. I mean, that's it. That's how So there's probably three or four little pieces. I mean, I'm not even kidding, guys. I mean, I'm blown away. Okay, I am personally blown away by the type of money. And again, I'm, this is purely the excitement of my own situation. Like I'm not overselling this because I got some hidden agenda to sell you a course or sell you on paying me money to teach you how. I'm not doing any of that stuff. I mean, literally I am blown away as somebody that's made a lot of money in the market in the last 25 years. I've done very, very well, but this to me, is the greatest way for me to make money. But again, the only downside for most people, because most people are like, wow, that'd be great to do that. The only challenge is to run a covered call. You got to already have the shares. So why I'm so successful at it is because I have millions of dollars that I can trade with and it's all covered. So that means if they sell my shares, if the strike price gets met and they sell my shares, well, it doesn't really matter because most of those, well, all of the calls that I'm going to be running, I'm already profitable on the stock. So if it hits that number and it sells it, well, I've lost nothing. Now, what a lot of people will do, though, is if they don't have a lot of money right now, they'll buy a call. So now they have to pay premium. That's where the premium's coming from. It's from all those people in the market that they're buying a call. Mm. They're buying a call because they don't have the money. They don't have the shares as collateral. That's really what it comes down to. And beyond just a simple Google search, I mean, I know you mentioned like, hey, you'll introduce everyone to this guy. Do you have a recommendation for people who are trying to dip their toes into this? I would say, honestly, and just 
get this all clear, everybody. You know, there's no guarantee of future performance <laughs> and all that shit, right? I mean, again, I'm sure people will buy a call and options could be risky, okay? There's a lot of things that could go wrong. But when you have collateral, you're kind of in a different boat. That's why I always recommend people Make sure you have the collateral. Make sure, you know who I like and you guys might want to give him a shout out, but, and I don't know this guy, I don't know who he is, but it's called (laughs) Pandrea Finance on YouTube. It's called Pandrea Finance. He's one of the guys that I really enjoyed watching that people can learn kind of the basics and he teaches it really in a easy to understand and visual way to understand all types of calls, all types of options trading. Well, Daniel, I'm sure we could just dive into your journey and just all of the financial products, all the things you've seen, all of the different ways to, you know, have wealth on the beach possible. But for those who want to learn more about you, they want to get your book, Wealth on the Beach, The 11 Universal Laws to Building Financial Freedom. Where are the best places for people to do that? All right, man. Well, first of all, I just want to say, Justin, Cody, thanks for having me on today. I really appreciate you guys and all that you do and all the value that you bring to the marketplace today. It really is invaluable. And so if you want to get a hold of me, I think the first way to to really search me out is on Instagram at Daniel Alonzo. And I'm drinking a coconut. And by the way, I have, I think, 33,000 people that follow me. So if you see one with like a thousand people follow me, you know, it's fake. Because I got a lot of fake accounts out there. And then also you can go to YouTube. I have a great YouTube channel, Daniel Alonzo. My website is alonzoacademy.com. And of course, wealthonthebeach.com is where you can get my book as well as I have a coaching program as well. It's called Wealth on the Beach Club. And every Wednesday morning, I get together for an hour and answer questions and teach on lessons when it comes to money and finance and and leadership and building business and passive income. And of course, just do a search on Amazon if you are interested in directly getting the book. That's probably the best way if you want the book. But the coaching program is at wealthonthebeach.com as well. So a lot of ways to get a hold of me. Just excited to be here. I mean, there's what a, what a great time in history we are. I hope everybody recognizes this time. And, you know, not to really date this podcast, but man, we're in the midst of a possible recession right now. Like a serious downturn of the market could be happening in the next six to 12 months to 24 months. And when that happens, I want you guys to understand that Wealthy people get wealthy in recessions. So save your effing money, okay? Right now, get solid, man. Get your credit score solid so you can take advantage of all the investment opportunities, stock opportunities, real estate opportunities, you name it, that are gonna be available in the next year or so. So just what an exciting time. And I just, I hope all of you guys uh, really feel comfortable to reach out to me if you wanna share or let me know how I can help you. Couldn't agree more, Daniel. I mean, like you said, when things are bad, that's when, you know, you kind of start to wake up and start to put that money to use. Not that you want to time the market, but like you said, hey, save all the money that you can because there's going to be opportunities coming down the road. And thank you so much for coming on the show and all the enthusiasm, your story. Can't wait to meet the guy, you know, behind the covered calls. It's going to be a great episode that I know a lot of people are going to get a lot out of. So thank you, Daniel. Appreciate you guys. And as always, if you want to check out our Facebook group page, you can do so at thefyshow.com slash community. And we always appreciate those five-star reviews. They help us get great guests like we had today. 
And if you're interested in supporting The Fi Show, you can do so by checking out some of our partners over at the resources page, which can be found at thefyshow.com slash resources. And thanks for listening. <laughs>